and that's the way he treats me. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. Uh, as we all stand, let's open up our Bibles to the last, I was going to say the contents, table of contents, but what we're going to do is, it's a little easier. We're going to go into the last book of the Old Testament. Amen? Book of Jericho, right? The book of Jericho? Last book of the Old Testament. I'm glad uh, some of you guys laughed at that. Praise the Lord. The book of Malachi we're going to. Praise the Lord. Some may have started to look for the book of Jericho. <laughs> book of Malachi. As the children begin to make their exit toward downstairs, children and some of the young, right? There goes Pastor Angel, who's soon to be a worshiper. Angel's got to be working on a song, I'm assuming, because uh, he's got a little voice on him, and I want to hear it soon. Amen. Loves to worship the Lord as well. Thank God for those who are in our midst uh, visiting us. Amen. We have uh, Jocelyn here, my right. Praise the Lord. Amen. Which the names will be mentioned later on. Jocelyn, praise God, on my right here. Uh, if you guys, when you guys look at her, even if she wasn't standing alongside of uh, Sister Elaine, I think we would recognize the fact that that's her mom. They had that same, they had that same look, that same face. And I told Elaine, you look just like your mother, and your mother's ugly. <laughs> Praise God. Well, that's what I was told. What a blessing. Amen, right? That's what I was told. You look just like your father, and your father's ugly. But uh, we see where Elaine gets her looks from. Praise God. God bless her mother and her young-looking mother, who's in her 30s and has a 20-year-old. We, we, we don't know how that happened, right? <laughs> Praise God. God bless youth. Like Sister Sylvia, when I showed Sister Sylvia's son, I was like amazed. How could she be looking in her 30s and uh, has a son that looks my age, right? Uh, in his 20s. Praise God. We have Eric as well, praise the Lord, but I believe Eric has made a trip to the, I apologize for that. Eric is somewhere in the temple. Uh, that's uh, Yvonne's brother, praise the Lord, and uh, pretty awesome, Sylvia's brother. So good to have him in the house. And we have Sandy as well in the back, praise the Lord. Hope you guys said, said hello to Sandy, praise the Lord, amen, as well. Um, I, I, I went, uh, on the way out, I guess maybe Sully, our secretary, mentioned Sandy's last name, but what a cool kind of movie theater kind of name, you know, kind of name you see in the credits in Hollywood. Uh, very cool name, praise the Lord. So God bless those of you who are with us, amen. I'm not going to mention Chris in the back, uh, uh, Curry back there, because uh, he's been with us quite a few times. Uh, we are no longer considering him a visitor, uh, but we're hoping and praying that we're moving towards... Uh, Membership and baptism, amen? Because uh, Chris may have his plans, but God has an agenda for his life. And I believe that through prayer and seeking the face of God and as hard as his mother's praying over him and a lot of us, God's plan is going to prevail, amen? Praise the Lord. The book of Malachi, we're going to go uh, to chapter 1. Praise the Lord. I'm, a, I'm aware of the fact that you're standing but um, as you stand, I hope and pray you keep your ears wide open. Amen? Uh, in psychology, there are issues, right? I'm going to go into the word right now. But in psychology, there are issues where if a child is constantly reprimanded and told what he's doing wrong 
or not doing right. There's a difference, right, between wrong and not doing right. Sounds a little less harsh, right, when you say not doing right. Uh, they grow up with certain issues. They grow up with certain issues. Right, Liz? No offense. No offense. <laughs> but uh, what I simply want to do, because the thing is, it's important that if we're not doing right, then we're corrected or critiqued, right? It's important. But when we do right, we also want to hear it as well. Don't only tell me when I smell a certain way. Tell me when I smell good too. Amen. And I want to commend you all, praise the Lord, because when I walked in through those doors this morning, many of you were here before me. Amen. And that's quite a blessing. Give yourselves a hand clap. Amen. Give yourselves a hand clap. Very few. Very few came in after that 10 o'clock mark. I hit traffic. We were stuck in traffic on the sawmill uh, for about 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes. I had hoped to have been here earlier, uh, but that's not the case. But I was so blessed to have seen so many having had gotten here to the house of the Lord early, early. This is important. This is important. And it should be so much important than our jobs. Amen? We make it to work. You know, you know what? Listen, we, we have to evaluate. We make it to work on time. Because we get paid for that time. Amen? But when it comes to the house of the Lord, sometimes we're carefree. We don't worry about what time we get there because we're not getting a salary for it. But there is one in heaven who takes note over these things as to how important. Where are you, is it more important that you're paid or is it more important that you're blessed? Amen? Because without the blessing, you might not be getting a paycheck either. Praise God. With our Bibles, open up to the book of Malachi. We're going to consider verses 1. Uh, pardon me. Uh, Malachi chapter 1, verse 5, 11. Then we're going to jump to 2, 4 through 7. Amen? Malachi chapter 1, verse 5 and 11. Malachi chapter 2, verses 2 through, pardon, 4 through 7. When you have it, please say Amen. Word reads as follows in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen to the word of the Lord. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the borders of Israel. We're jumping to verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great. Among the Gentiles, in every place, incense shall, burn, shall be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. We jump to chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue. Says the Lord of hosts, my covenant was with him, one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was, and was reverent before my name. And the Lord of truth was, the law of truth was in his mouth. And the injustice, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from, it, from iniquity. Verse 7 says, listen to this. 
For the lips of a priest, that's us, that's us. We're not talking about a separate segment. The, the priest in scripture, that's us. Amen? We are a royal priesthood. Some other religious establishments and organizations have their priests. But when it comes to the understanding of scripture, the Bible says we are all priests. Amen? So this word is to all of us. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. And people should seek the law of his mouth. For he is the messenger of the law of ho- the Lord of hosts. Amen? Amen? Praise God. As I constantly ask, I'm going to ask Brother Edgar and my sister Leslie to take me in prayer. Amen? Amen? And I'm going to ask, praise the Lord, uh, dearly Brother Mark, would you please give God thanks for his holy word? Amen? Uh, Please take your seats. Praise God. Amazing is the Lord. Amen. Praise God. I want to start by saying... Uh, as we look upon human relations, and uh, this is a part of the continuum of not last week's sermon, but the sermon before last week uh, where we spoke about the Samaritan woman, amen? But it simply has to do with continued relationship, amen? When we look at human relationships, how valuable are those relationships? How we value human relationships, how we value human affection, how we value human love, right? And how some of us crave it, how some of us crave it. Um, There's where we kid around sometimes with something that is so serious, where sometimes we see somebody in their older age who is constantly seeking attention. They're constantly seeking to focus the conversation upon themselves. Um... There's an old joke that I tell, and many of you have perhaps heard it, where Joey Adams had written, and I love it, because he says, the best type of friend to have is one who is an egotistic individual. Could you imagine that? Those are the kind of people that we avoid, right? Uh, Because they're constantly speaking upon themselves. They're constantly turning the direction and the conversation toward them. We approach them to speak to them about our pains, our ailments, our our emotions, and and it constantly gears towards them. 
And, you know, you may walk up to somebody who's egotistic and you say, I had such a pain in my knee, but it so happens that they always have pain in both knees. Right? And, and you might say, oh, oh, my father's so sick, help me to pray. Well, your father's sick, my mother and father are sick. I have one job. What? You got one job? I have three jobs. I have three jobs. The conversation somehow always ends up and they become the focus and the focal point of the conversation. But Joey Adams said it so lovingly. He said, the best kind of friend is an egotist. He says, because they'll never speak about you behind your back. <laughs> they'll never talk about you behind their back because they're always too busy talking about themselves. They're always too busy discussing themselves. And sometimes, you know, we see these folks who may appear to be egotistic or the person who always wants attention. The person who always wants to be that focal point. And, and, and jokingly, sometimes we'll say, uh, as a child, they perhaps were never hugged. Right? They were never hugged. And some of you may think that way of me, right? Because I tend to hug everybody. I need a hug from everybody every day. Whoever I see naturally, I will hug. And if I don't hug you, believe me, it's because I'm not too happy with you. Because I can't be a hypocrite either. I may hug you maybe on Thursday, but I can't deal with it today because I have emotions to deal with at the moment. But Israel had trouble with God's love. There, there is a segment within this book. It's composed of 55 verses. It's only 55 verses if we count them through. And it's only composed of four chapters. And within the four chapters, we have 55 verses that are divided between six different discussions and six different arguments. The arguments are against God. The first three arguments, in the first three arguments, God is so amazing and he exposes Israel. In the last three arguments and discussion, God confronts the issues of Israel. Because God is not the kind of God that will only point out and critique. God is the kind of God that will move forward to correct but that's where the title of today's sermon comes in. Of what value is it if God speaks, but we don't listen? Does it make sense? Of what value is it if God speaks, but we don't listen? But we don't listen. Israel was arguing within the circle of trust. Israel was arguing based on what they thought they knew about God. The worst thing is, when we expect God to act, to act according to how we think of him. If we don't know God, then we don't know how God would act. Amen? We don't know how God would act. How could we know God and get to know God, sadly, and I'm speaking of Israel, if we don't spend time in his presence? It's hard to get to know someone if we're not spending time with them. You know, they say, tell me who you walk with and I'll tell you who you are. Because eventually who you walk with will rub off on you. When we spend time and God begins to rub off on us, we begin to act and think the way God does without having the complex of thinking that we're God. When we come to a humble understanding of the fact that we are the servants, he is our God. We are the subjects. He is our king. We are his children. He is our father. 
We come to the point of understanding that he is a great creator of all that exists. And we simply want to place ourselves in his hands, as in the hands of the potter, as Isaiah speaks of. And to allow him to shape and to mold who we are. Allow him to take out the grooves that don't belong, that when we enter into the kiln, if we have air bubbles, we will bust. Allow him to simply rub us to the point that he brings shape into our lives and shape of an honor vessel. That we will bring glory to his holy name. Glory to his holy name. In life, we have these circles in human relations. And sometimes, apart from God, we have to examine our relationships with others. Because the thing is, you know what? I want to relate this to God. Amen? I, I want you to understand, it's not a secret. But in my life, in my personal life, there are very few people I can truly count on. I don't know about you. I hope and pray that's not the same for you. There are very few people that I could count on. Say, mother, sister, that's something, right? My sister Leslie, praise the Lord. Uh, Brother Edgar, uh, Brother Darby, you know, uh, Manny, stuff like that. You know, there are people, Liz, you know, that, that, that I count on. Some of you names I didn't mention, but don't feel left out, amen? Don't feel left out. I just don't want to go throughout the whole congregation because uh, we'll spend the entire time naming people, right? Because from this point, I'm counting on Jocelyn, right? Those 20 bucks are going to come in handy, Jocelyn. Thank you. <laughs> but sometimes there are such few people that we can count on. Now, now, it gets a little hairy. It gets a little eerie sometimes. Because the thing is, sometimes there are people who we love more than we can trust. <laughs> Does that make sense? There are some people who we love more than what we can trust. Because sometimes, you know what? There are some people who we love less. That we can count on. And sometimes there are people who we love so much that we can't count on them. And sometimes we can't even count on ourselves. We can't count on ourselves. Can I trust that I'll be there at that time? I can't even count on myself sometimes to keep a job. Because when we speak of the human heart, the human heart has issues. Within the human heart there are people who sadly may be given over to a vice, and the vice controls their lives. They have no control over themselves. Allow me to tell you an analogy that I was observing yesterday. I was worried about this sermon, and I said, yes, I was worried about this. I'm always worried about the sermon. I think if I don't worry about the sermon, there'd be a problem. There'd be a problem. You guys yesterday were carefree, doing your thing, watching the Yankee game. Well, I'm watching the Yankee game thinking about the sermon. You Yankee fans, where'd you get to? <laughs> Definitely got somewhere, but not there. <laughs> Somebody get me, Sally. <laughs> All right, congrats you Yankee fans. I, I was cheering on the Yankees as well. I, 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 I'm very honest. I was cheering the Yankees on myself. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a total New York fan. I am a total New York fan. To me, it's Mets, then Yankees. Jets, then Giants. Nets, then Knicks. Islanders and Rangers, uh, you know, I'll tell you a joke about that later on, but I can't tell it from here. Praise God. 
See, uh, Yvette, you threw me off. There you go. Thank you, sis. But there were a circle of friends, right? And the thing is, I was worried about the sermon is I'm worried about the sermon I'm observing. And one thing I'm observing is that my son is taking his karate class, right? And I separate that time in order to be able to make it always, to take him to the class. We're paying for the class. I, you know, he's got to make it, you know? So while he's in class, I'm in the car after my morning jog. Excuse me? <laughs> Praise God. You guys are messed up. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the car waiting for him to come out, and I'm thinking about the sermon. I'm writing some things down, and I'm jotting some things down, trying to calculate things in my head. But it so happens that my son's school is in a small building. On the right-hand side, immediately, there's a bar. At the left-hand side, two stores over, there's a liquor store. There's a liquor store. And folks, I'm talking about 2.15 in the afternoon. And that bar had people coming in and out, in and out, in and out. 2.30 in the afternoon Saturday. 2.30 in the afternoon Saturday. The liquor store had people walking in. It's a beautiful liquor store. I always look inside. I've never been inside, but I always look when we go. And I try to say, what a beautiful looking liquor store. I truly hope and pray I never visit it. Because if I do, take me out of here. Amen? <laughs> but I'm looking at folks going in and out. In, and I start to think to myself, that has a, percent, a percentage of not ending up too pretty. Does it make sense? Because the thing is, how many of those folks who are walking into the bar you can count on at 8 p.m.? If they're going into the bar at 2.30 in the afternoon, can you count on them at 8 p.m.? Yeah. Hey. You call them up because you're in the emergency room. Can you count that they can get there? That there's no way they're going to get there. They're impaired. They have no balance. They have no self-thought. You know what? Sometimes, you know what? A drunk individual can compose himself for a little bit under a stress and emergency. But they still cannot be counted on to sign their names or to make a choice. We can't count, do I pull the plug? And you're going to call somebody who has had a pint. Should we pull the plug on mom? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And I'm sorry to take it to drama, but, but we got to be dramatic about it. Because you know what? The future is at stake. And our future is in our hands right now. So in order to correct situations to come, we have to think about what we're doing in the present. Because the thing is, sometimes the present isn't that pretty either. Because of what has happened in our past and we didn't catch it on time. So in psychology, Zygmunt Freud will call out issues of mother, father, childhood. Pavlov will call issues of habits. Traits that have taken place today based on traits that were in, in cue and developing and patterns in the past that we sort of missed. And that was the problem with Israel. Israel, at this point and in time, they expected the love, the mercy, the grace, the goodness of God. But they have failed to realize that they wanted God's faithfulness while they weren't living a faithful life to God. They expected and demanded from God. 
And they called God out. They spoke to him irreverently. They spoke to him as if he was a nobody. God had to continually identify himself to Israel, continuing to remind them, I am a father. I am the king. I am the creator. Because when it came to time of good, they expected God's word to be fulfilled upon their lives, whether they served them or not. Whether they served them or not. What a serious problem, right? There's a gentleman, and I love his story. If you don't know it, please try to catch it. Some of you may go, oh, yes, I know that guy. Joe Quesada. Nobody? Joe Quesada, right? Jordan right away jumped up yesterday. He said, oh, I know him. He's a school chancellor of uh, Westchester County Public Schools. No, 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 no. Not, not, not that one, Jordan. Not that one. Joe Quesada. He's actually Marvel Comics editor and chief. Marvel Comics editor and chief. Amen, amen, amen. I knew you knew who it was. I knew Mark was going. Mark was thinking about Comic Con right away. He said, I think I heard the name in Comic Con. Osafo sort of uh, had an idea, right? But you know, listen, Joe Quesada grew up in Jackson Heights. He is first-generation Cuban. And I love because as he tells his story, he begins to say that he's making a living from what got him in trouble as a kid in school. Does it make sense? And he says, as first-generation Cuban here in the U.S., growing up, he says in his neighborhood, there were people from all over the world. And in people who were there from all over the world, you know, from foreign languages, his father told him at an early age, you're going to first speak Spanish, but you have to learn your English. You have to learn your English. And the thing is, one of the things that he remembers was that when they had mixed kids, Italians, there was Jews, there were Irish, you know, there were Cubans, Puerto Ricans, and many, you know, all kinds of people growing up in the neighborhood, and they all played and enjoyed themselves. But he remembers that all the parents used to tell their kids, hey, 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 become lawyers, become doctors, become architects, become engineers, become somebody. And he says his father at home had a different message. His father knew that Joe had a talent in his artistry. He said, Joe, continue to concentrate on your art. Focus on your art. Joe, this art's going to take you somewhere. But he speaks that his father alongside, so generally, so smart, so brilliant, continued to educate him on business as well. The business of a man who didn't have the studies here in the U.S., but had an idea how things operated back in Cuba. And with the little that he knew in Cuba, he instilled it in his son the desire toward business while he was feeding the desire toward artistry. And he says in school, sometimes he would sit there in elementary school. And while the teacher was speaking of science, history, and so on, he was doodling cartoon characters. Cartoon characters. And he says he would constantly drift out the window and look and think and dream in his head as to the direction of the life of this cartoon that he is drawing. Naturally, what would happen? So many masterpieces were destroyed because when the teacher came up and saw... How many masters, how many 
How many pieces of art did these teachers throw away that are of such great value today? Because they didn't see the value within his art. But today I love it because the thing is, today he says, thank God for my father who was able to catch it on time. Because my future was in my father's hands. And he says, I'm so thankful that I am where I am today because my father was able to see within me what was there at the time. I can only imagine and speculate, folks, him thinking, hey, I'm going to become a doctor. And the father said, hey, 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 hey. Concentrate on your art. <laughs> Who does that? Who does that? If my kid says I'm going to clown school, <laughs> if my son comes to me today and tells me I'm going to clown school, I may just tell him, son, you don't have to study that. You already have a master as that's that. <laughs> hey, he's up here listening to me. <laughs> but hey, there might be a possibility there. <laughs> but can I throw all my eggs into clown school? No, I'm telling my son, I always tell him, listen. Think of engineering. I'm always constantly telling my son, think of engineering. But I tell him, most of all, think of ministry. Think of ministry. If you're an engineer, that you don't become an engineer who's a Christian, that you become a Christian who practices engineering. Amen? Amen? Let first things be first. Let our priorities be priorities. Joel's father saw his artistry. And today, he's a CEO editor-in-chief. No one has ever filled those two positions. And from time to time, he still draws Spider-Man. He draws, he's not the creator of these cartoon characters, but he creates a direction as to where they're going. And he has to maintain, I love it because he says he has to maintain, maintain the storyline based on the history. Based on the history. But he's also aware of the fact that as he draws out the storyline and of these spectacular movies that we go to pay dollars for, you know, the truth of the past. So in order for him to keep, he has to keep creating a history that's in line and in thread with the future of Spider-Man and Iron Man. So the thing is, this is when it comes to a cartoon. What about when it comes to the life of a Christian? Who is in charge of the direction? Who's in charge of the artistry? Who's in charge of the components? Who is the editor-in-chief? Who is the creator? Who is the God? Who is the savior? Who is the one that's in control of what's going on around the Christian's life? And folks, I can't say. I love it because he says he lived in Jackson Heights. Where was Spider-Man from? Where in New York? In Queens. You guys are not faithful Spider-Man fans. What's going on? <laughs> Queens, but where in Queens? Well, alongside, right? So, thank you. <laughs> oh, man. I, if I ever run into Joe Quesada, I'm going to remember some of you guys. Some of these guys... But Joe Quesada says, and I love it, because he says, as a young man and growing up as a teenager, he says, 
<laughs> I love it because he says, Spider-Man is not really an individual. But in order to keep his artistry going, he says, but maybe he is. Maybe he is. Because he has to create him with an imagination. See, we are individuals who think, who reason. We do have our own life and our own choices. Spider-Man has no choice. But Spider-Man has to give in to what Joe Quesada desires and moves along Spider-Man's livelihood. We are people who reason. We have freedom. Could you imagine? Folks, tell me. Because I was thinking about this this morning. Imagine if God would have created us with no choice of doing bad. Just good, 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 good. Imagine we were created to the point that all we did was good, 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 no bad whatsoever. I'm sorry. If that was the only choice, it'd be kind of a boring life. Wouldn't it? If we were honest. You know, for salvation purposes, I wish I only did good. But for life here on earth, I'm glad that I have a choice. And God so lovingly gave us that choice, that freedom of will. For us to decide. But our decisions will have consequences. But if we choose him, we're going to win every time. And sometimes we have to realize we don't have the control or the ability to do what's good. We will continue to do what's bad if we don't depend on him. And sometimes we say, hey, we are depending on you. Like the people of Mal the Malachi was speaking to. Malachi began to voice it out. And he said, he began to question the people. You folks are saying that I don't love you. That was God's first argument. I'm not going to go into all six. But he said, you. And you know why they said that he don't love them? Because they had already been in the land of Jerusalem away from the captivity for 100 years. The temple had been built. The altar had been built. The walls had been erected. But during this time, they continued not to see the blessings of God when it came to their crops. When it came to the fruits. So in other words, God, bless everything that I do. God, touch everything that I do. God, prosper everything that I do. And if we look at chapter 1, folks, this is where it gets a little hairy and scary. Because God calls them out. God says in parentheses, and it's there. You're going to look for it, but it's between the lines. God says, you know, Israel, it's time that you take responsibility for your own actions. You're constantly accusing me. See, when things went good, Israel took the credit. Hey, 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 I did this. Hey, hey, I did that. Hey, did you see that happen? Hey, did you see those, did you, did you see those, those potatoes? Hey, did, did you see the land, the sheep? Did, did you see my flock? Hey, look at that. Whoa, look at what I have done with the sheep. But when evil came upon them, they would blame God. Everything that was good was me. Everything that went bad in my life was God. And God says, you know what? It's time that you take responsibility for your own, own actions. If we look at chapter 1, God tells them, you know what you have done? Hey, and see, God is worried about the future of the gospel here. That's what he's worried about. He's speaking 400 years before Christ. 
But see, when he says my name will be magnified before, you know, uh, beyond the borders of Israel, the Gentiles will burn incense in my name. Meaning, hey, not, not, not incense. Hey, it's not the true. It's not going around buying incense at the service. Incense is symbolic for prayer. Incense is symbolic for prayer. So what God was saying, even the Gentiles are going to look toward me based on what you do. So folks, the future salvation of many people is in your hands right now. Did you hear that? The future, your future salvation of many people is in your hand right now. God is saying, Israel, the Gentiles are looking at you. The Gentiles are watching you. And based on what you do or don't do, they will either bring glory to my name or profane my name as you do. We have a problem here, folks. And one of the problems is Manny. Manny. Manny Miranda. Raise your hand, Manny. Right, you're a problem, right? It's a problem. Because this guy works for the MTA. That's a problem off the back. But I'm going to give you an example based on what he's told me. <laughs> Listen. From time to time, they will put a student in Manny's hands. Because who has to teach somebody else how to drive this bus and how to manage the public and how to manage the fare box and so on, right? So they're going to put him in the hands of somebody who is doing the job now. But see, but if Manny doesn't do a good job and this young man learns it or a young woman learns it and learns the bad habits, what happens? They continue to do the bad habits. Because right now they're observing him. So God is telling Israel, Israel, the world is looking at you. And he's calling them out. You are a priesthood. You are a priesthood. And he stresses the fact, in your lips, there should not be guile. People should count on what you say. Your word should be your bond. Your word should have value. Why? Because you're bringing glory to my name. He's saying all that you do is based, and I love it, and we read it in, ch in chapter, seven, uh, two verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Knowledge, what you know concerning me is what you're going to practice and live out. What you know about me. So in other words, get to know me. Don't look at your neighbor and how your neighbor lives. Get to know me. Don't depend on those around you. Get to know me. Don't depend on what you're looking at and seeing. Depend upon me. Turn to me. And God is calling out, turn to me. Because you know what? The Samaritan woman needs you. You know what? Boston Row and Bristol needs us. And they're watching us. And they're watching our behavior. Folks, many people might not tell you at your job, but they're observing you. They observe us. They observe us. And the thing is, some people may come up to us from time to time and tell us, would you pray for this? Would you pray for him? Pray for, pray for my co- And we do that in the church, right? We speak about our co-workers. He asked for a prayer. She asked for a prayer for them. Because you know what? There's something about you that, 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 that's singled out. But there are other people who might turn and say, he or she is a Christian? He or she is a Christian. The world is watching us. And you know what's so sad? It doesn't stop at you. Because when they look at you, they begin to distrust God. 
because you carry the title of a Christian. Hey, listen. <laughs> I love, um, oh, Jesus, I shouldn't say this. <laughs> There's a comedian I've quoted before, Sebastian Maniscalco, right? And this guy's hilarious. I love him because he doesn't curse and he's not filthy and is joking around. But one thing he says, and I laugh because uh, he's Italian. And he says, he's in the emergency room and he's in pain. And they tell him, oh, hang on. <laughs> he says, hang on. Uh, um, Dr. Manicotti's coming to be with you right now. He says, Dr. Manicotti, an Italian? He says, don't say I'm an Italian. Don't you have any Manischewitz back there, any Berkowitzes? You know, get me a Jew. <laughs> he get me somebody who I know practice medicine, please. The fear is, hey, I don't want a doctor working with me if he doesn't know it's medicine. The moment that the doctor makes a mistake and I think that he's wrong, I'm not going back to that doctor. So the thing is, the moment that somebody... Because the thing is, the title doctor, PhD, it carries a lot of weight. It carries a lot of weight. And sometimes we want to know even where they study. You know, Harvard, oh, let's go for it. Is what studied where in Grenada? I'm not sure about this guy. <laughs> I'm not sure about this guy. But it carries a lot of weight. But what about when the weight, the weight of the word? You know what? When you're called a Christian, they're calling you a priest. And they're counting on your word. They're counting on your behavior. They're counting on the fact that God is coming in through you. They're counting on who you are. And here is some of the problem within Israel that I hope and pray that we catch ourselves. Because they wanted to worship God. And he says in chapter 3, he says, look, the one who you're seeking, the one who you're seeking will send forth his messenger. Meaning Jesus Christ is coming. But he's coming through you. You have to maintain yourself. You have to maintain yourself. So now he's stressing the fact. And I love it in chapter one, as I was mentioning, and I'm going to start closing early today. Amen. But he says, you know what was happening? Read chapter one when you can at home. He says, you're making a vow with a lamb at his early age. And this comes to sacrifice. And I know when we, think, we look at Malachi, we think about tithing, we think about offerings, amen? But I want to speak more about our worship, more about our worship. Because what happens is, if we look at Scripture, Scripture led and guided us towards worship. God's word within itself is a value. He spoke, and all things came to existence. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, tells us that the rain comes to the earth and the fruit comes forth, so his word shall be. His word shall prosper to what it was sent for. Joshua 1, 8, he was told to meditate on the law, on the commandments day and night. He was told, write them in your heart, write them on your door. And Israel counted on the word of God. Israel counted on the word of God. But Israel in turn gave their word to God. And you know, what, would happen, what was happening is, you know, when, when a loved one gets sick, and we saw a movie here Friday night, uh, God's Not Dead. Um, if, you can't, if you didn't see it, please uh, make your way to see a tremendous movie. Because the professor in the movie said something that was quite touching and quite real. When we're in trouble, we tell God, God, I promise that I will serve you 
Please save my loved one. Please raise up my loved one. Please get me out of this trouble. I, can I tell you something funny? I want to tell you two funny things. This is my personal story. And I know I revert back to these things, but I just have to today. Yeah, anybody ever heard of quicksand? Quicksand, right? Right? So I was in Puerto Rico after a hurricane. There was a hurricane that took place. I forgot. You go, one of those massive hurricanes. And we had gone out with my family. I was maybe like 17 years old. And we went to a river. And I, I left my family's site, but on purpose, right? I left their family's site. Because the thing is, I was... I was a New Yorker, and I used to go to spend my summers in Puerto Rico. Um, and while I was in Puerto Rico, um, the habits I had in New York, I had to continue practicing them while I was in Puerto Rico. Because I didn't control the habit. The habit controlled me. So while I'm in Puerto Rico, right, I moved with my family. They're having a barbecue. Oh, my God, food. All that good stuff is going on. Woo, take a break. And, and, and while all this is going on, you know, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I looked, nobody's looking at me, and I disappeared. And I must have, I'm talking maybe four city blocks, but this is alongside a riverbank, so there's no, there's no blocks here, you know. But I went far enough that they couldn't see me, and I tried to move away from where anybody can see me, and I started to do my thing, you know. So I'm just there with my habits, and, and then once I, I finished, you know, I was trying to enjoy myself for a few minutes. I'm trying to enjoy myself. And the fear of the fact that they're looking for me wouldn't allow me to enjoy myself. You know, I was paranoid in the moment. So I, I got up and I started walking back towards them, but I started crossing through the river parts, right? And all of a sudden, I stepped on some sand. And when I stepped on the sand, you're going to laugh even more, even more at the end. When I stepped on the sand, I went, I mean, I, I'm walking. I'm just walking like it was pure floor, like this. And all of a sudden, I went, this deep in sand. This deep. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But I knew about Jesus. But I just didn't know Jesus. I knew about him, but I didn't know him personally. And I started at the moment, oh, Jesus, please. Don't let me die in my sin. Don't let me die in my sin. I became desperate. Oh, Jesus, please save me. I promise if you get me out of this, I'm going to serve you. I promise I'm going to live for you. I promise if you get me out of this, things are going to be different. I'm not going to give any more trouble to my mother. She's not going to cry over my issues, my fights. I'm going to be good. In, I'm sorry, go back to school. I'm going to do good. Lord, I'm going to change, Lord. I'm going to become a servant. Lord, I'm going to become a preacher, a pastor, Lord. Just get me out of this, Lord. Please, please. And I, I'm like 17, and I'm crying. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. My biggest fear wasn't dying. My biggest fear was dying in my sin. Because the gospel had been spoken to me. So I was aware of the fact that my sins and their consequences bring forth consequences. So I'm like, Jesus, get me out of here. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I promise you, Lord, I promise you. And I'm like, I'm getting out. Oh, thank you. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Oh, oh, I'm gonna stop my habits, Jesus. I'm, I'm gonna stop doing all these things, Jesus. Oh my God, I'm not gonna do this anymore. Oh my God. And I got to the end, oh, and I sat on the riverbank, and I was like, oh, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. I went right back to what I was doing right before that. I went right back instantly. That was 17. 
And I continued to live two more years in sin after that. Not caring about church, not caring about Christ, not caring about, any, not caring about the promises I made then and there. Because things were good now. I wasn't dying all of a sudden. Funny, I found out eventually there's no such thing as quicksand in Puerto Rico. <laughs> what had happened was the hurricane had picked up the sand and the sand had pockets in the middle. And that's what I fell into a pocket. <laughs> but folks, today I'm years old. Today I'm years old, right? And I still remember what happened that day. And it hurts. It hurts. Because I had promised God. And you know what? Had I reached the point of almost dying, believe me, in my head, it was the fact that God didn't love me. You don't love me like you say you do. But at that point, God could have told me, take responsibility for your own life. Because if wrong has come to you, it's not because I have placed it, because I had done all that is good. I had told you, think upon these things. Meditate upon these things. Meditate on my word. Because if I've spoken to you for so many years, of what value is it if you're not listening? So Israel had to reach a point in time where God called them out. You're blaming me? No, look what you're doing. You're promising when that baby lamb, and you see how perfect that lamb is. So perfect. And men were taking a vow. When it comes time, I want to sacrifice this lamb to the Lord. The perfect lamb. Which was a symbol of who? Of Jesus Christ. But when it came time, see, and that's the way our worship sometimes works. We promise God, I'm going to give you my best. But see, some people worship at their play. That's not bad. But some people play at their worship. And that's bad. So they, men said, I, I vow, and they, would put, they had to put their hands upon that lamb. I vow I'm going to give this lamb to God when the time comes. When it's one year old, a perfect lamb with no blemishes, can walk, not blind, and I'm going to take care of it. And they would take care of the lamb in such a way that it was perfect and maintained perfect. That was their worship. They maintained it. They maintained their worship. But when it came to the time of sacrifice... That lamb was so valuable. That lamb was so valuable that God was said, you esteem it so highly, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. It's like when God told Abraham, give me your son. Give me. Are we willing to give up what's valuable to us? And what would happen sadly is, instead of grabbing the perfect lamb, they would grab the blind the lame, and sometimes even the stolen. And they will tell God, I want to give you the perfect one, but they will give to God just anything. Anything. See, talk, talk is what? Oh, wow, you guys know that expression too. I thought it was new. <laughs> talk is cheap. Actions is where it's at. You ever heard her say, you know, I, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking too loud. Your actions, we, we say one thing, but we do another. But we do another. 
So I have a hard time. I have friends that work with me. I'm just giving you an example. And they send me all these beautiful Christian things about the power of God, how good God is. How, you know, on what's up, you know, I can show you all these beautiful things. But if you watch how they live, they send me stuff in the morning Sunday. Oh, this is the day of the Lord. And, and ask you, did you go to the house of the Lord yesterday? Oh, I was busy. Oh, God is so good. Tell me why he's so good. Tell me why he's so good. Oh, because he gave me this, because he gave me that. I said, did you go to the house of the Lord? Did you, get, did you give to God what's God's? Did you promise God and not come through? Give to God what's God's. In Scripture, we see that they bring a coin to Jesus at tax time. Remember that time? They bring that coin to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, it's tax time. We got to pay to Caesar taxes. And I love it because when he, they bring the coin to him, Jesus says, whose image is on that coin? Remember that? Jesus said, whose image is on that coin? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said, you know what? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But you know what? Jesus was telling them something else besides that. What was Jesus saying? Tell us, Yvonne. Because she knows it. Jesus was saying that the image on that coin is Caesar, so that coin belongs to Caesar. But you were created in my image. You were created in my image. So give the coin to Caesar, but give you to me. Give you to me. Give you to me. All the coin and taxes belong to Caesar, but your soul is mine. Don't allow anyone access to your soul if it's not me. Because if you're going to speak pure, if you're going to speak with knowledge, you got to spend time with me, son. you got to spend time with me, daughter. you got to spend time with me, servant. If you're going to speak in my name, you got to get to know who I am. And yes, at the end they realize he has loved them. Because he said, you know what? Look at Esau. Did Esau progress? No, Jacob did. Did the Edomites progress? No, Israel did. He says, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. This sounds strong. How could God hate? Well, God, God wasn't stressing the fact that he hated anyone. God wanted to see the, them to see the extreme. Because the fact was, God was telling them was, Esau tried to progress and couldn't because he didn't depend upon me. You tried to progress and you did, not because you depended on me, but because my mercy was upon you. God said, I will be merciful upon who I will be merciful. So in other words, if you've come this far, give the glory to God. Because you know what? The future is at stake today. So your decision-making today is going to affect not only you, but the future of your family and your household. Because your kids, what you do today, affects your grandkids. Future generations will be affected by what we decide today. And how we behave and how we carry ourselves. So we can't start saying, God, you don't love me. Because your promises are not being fulfilled upon my life. You know what? God's promises are not for everyone. Not everyone's going to be healed. Some of us are going to depend. 
Not all of us are going to be rich, but we're going to simply depend. The sweetest thing I love, when you see somebody struggling in the disease and sickness, but they're still coming to the house of the Lord. Well, there's so many who have pure health and choose not to do so. It doesn't matter your condition. God is dealing with your soul. God is dealing with your heart. And God wants to make a change. God wants to make, but it all depends on us. So where do we see ourselves? Are we blaming God? Or are we going to say, God, you're right. You're right. Into your hands I give myself. And I'm going to close with this example that I've given far too many times. But at home, and as the worship team gets ready, at home, if there's a disagreement between my wife and myself, there's a 50-50 chance that I'm wrong. Amen? It's the way it is, right? There's a 50-50 chance. But if I have a disagreement with God, there's a 100% chance that I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Because God is right every time. God is right every time. He's never wrong. So the thing is, I want us to think about this today. Bless you. Where are we in our argument with God? Where are we in our fight with God? Where are we in our discussion with God? And do we keep blaming God? Do we keep blaming God? Or do we find decide and take responsibility for our own? If God speaks and if we don't listen to him, of what value is it? Amen? God bless you. God keep you. As the worship team sings, please, if the Lord has spoken into your heart, you feel the need for prayer, 